This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. And today we're going to be talking to a legend of full forwards uh, in WA and Victorian football, Simon Beasley. Simon, welcome to the show. G'day, Mark. Nice to, uh, nice to talk to you, mate. So, mate, uh, what's keeping you busy these days? Look, I'm still in the racing industry over here. So um, a bookmaker's license I've had for about uh, eight years. And the whole bookmaking thing's changed enormously since I was a rails bookmaker at Flemington and the like, Caulfield. So, you know, it's all internet-based devices and everything like that. So the on-course bookmakers are really struggling. I'm not an on-course bookmaker. I work for a private office setup. So... Yeah, we just uh, we cover most of the Australian venues um, on a daily basis. So yeah, we've got a small business, but no, it's it's good, mate. I read a story that Steve Butler wrote on you when you went back to um, being a bookmaker, and you said that uh, there's only one cure for the punt, and that's death. Yeah, well, that's basically right, mate. But the punters they do find it hard to win over a period of time. They, they, there are smart punters around Australia, but it, it's a pretty tough gig to uh, win on a regular basis. Absolutely. But we're primarily here to talk about footy. So let's go all the way back to growing up in WA as a young Simon Beasley. Tell us about your childhood. I was born in, um, I was born in Guildford and the, uh, up in the Swan. And I went to Guildford State School. Um, and then uh, my mum and dad sent me to Guildford Grammar School, age 10. So that was back in the mid-60s, and uh, I got my schooling at Guildford Grammar. Had a lot of mates there at school, you know, played cricket, played footy. I sort of, I really, when you think of it, I had an idyllic childhood sort of growing up. We lived in Market Street, Guildford. We had a big, big old family home, and it was really good. And, of course, being living in Guildford, just over the Swan River from Bassendine Noble, obviously we were huge followers, my grandfather and I, of the Swan Districts Football Club. And that was great even though we didn't win a lot of games in the late 60s and early 70s. But I did, as a kid, go to the the, early, the premierships they won in the early 60s under Hayden Bunton Jr. So we uh, we trudged off to Subiaco Oval on grand final day, and I'll never forget it, uh, three premierships in a row, which was fantastic. So you would have been a little tacker then, wouldn't you? About five, six and seven years yeah. old for those three, three flags? Yeah. yeah, I was born in 1956. I was five years of age when I went to the first one in um, 61, then 62, and then 63. So... Yeah, no, we used to catch the train down to Subiaco, and uh, yeah, they were they were fun days, that's for sure. Who was your hero growing up, Simon? So Swan Districts had some great players in the early '60s and into the into the '70s and the like, but sort of you know blokes like Bunton Junior, Billy Walker, Cyril Littrick, Robin McPhee, Colin Maynard. Mate, I had a lot of heroes. I was lucky. I had a lot of heroes at Swan Districts, and. One of the great things was we used to walk to Bassendine Oval and the, the mobile service station used to have these, these cards. They were quite large, actually, a lot larger than the ones they have these days of, of, of the different footballers and Swan Districts because they were successful. You know, had a lot of exposure, you know, and blokes like sort of Tony Nesbitt, they, they were fantastic. Louis Malenko a little bit later, but that Swan Districts team in the early 60s, Freddie Castle-Dine is no longer with us. You know, they were just, they were just unbeatable. They were, they were just a fantastic team. Now, you mentioned you play cricket as well as footy. Obviously, cricket's very strong out in the, the, the Midland-Guilford area. Was that, uh, were you yeah. any good? And um, was there any chance that that would be the course you'd take rather than footy? Yeah, I, I actually did much better at cricket at school. So I played in the first 11 for two years. Um, I only played in the first 18 for, for the football team for one year. 
but certainly cricket was my go at school. I loved the cricket and uh, and played with a lot of guys at Guildford Grammar who excelled in both cricket and footy. You know, blokes like Dalton Gooding, uh, Johnny Maguire, um, Larry Kickett, just to name a few. And yeah, so the cricket was great. We had a, a, a teacher called Jerry Newsom, and he was uh, a well-known Guildford uh, Guildford Grammar teacher, and he was a fanatic on sport. And he was a great mentor. So they were fun days and we were very competitive. The, the competition uh, between us and sort of Hale School and Aquinas and Scotch and the like, uh, the Darlow Cup was the, the cricket cup we fought for every year and the, the Alco Cup on the football side. So, yeah, you know, it, was, it was pretty fierce competition. It was good. It was good fun, mate. What sort of footy team did Guildford Grammar have in those days? We didn't win a lot of games. We had an ordinary footy team for some reason, even though individually we had some great players. But we sort of, at a, at a team level, I think we fell away, you know, and the sort of bottom six to eight, ten players. So we sort of struggled all the time. But we were sort of competitive. But, you know, and a lot of our players did go on and play state football for Western Australia and, and play for various clubs. East Perth, you know, Johnny McGuire and Larry Kickett both played at East Perth. Dalton Gooding went to, he went to Claremont. I went to Swan Districts later on in 77. So, yeah, so look, a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of our guys progressed to both football in the waffle and in, to interstate cricket. So it was quite a success story. Did you play footy at a local junior club as well as for Guildford Grammar or was it all just school footy? No, I did. I, I played for the local Guildford side down on the wreck. That was just down past the Guildford State School. So right on the Swan River it was. It was interesting because it used to get flooded out. In, in the winters in Perth in the, in the 60s and 70s, they were pretty ferocious. And uh, the Swan River forever was flooding. And on numerous occasions, we, um, at the, 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 the oval was under you know, four or five feet of water. It was incredible. Same thing happened up at Guildford Grammar. The Swan, the, you know, a lot of the ovals were built lower down below the school. Yep. And the Swan River, the Swan River invariably flooded in those days. So, yeah, it was interesting, interesting days, but uh, mate, a lot of fun, a lot of fun as a kid growing up. Were you always a full forward, Simon? Uh, yes and no, sort of Swan District. So I, I think I started at centre-half forward. So Toddy wanted me to, to hold down the centre-half forward spot, but I wasn't sort of quite strong enough when I first started with Swan Districts in 78. So I went to full forward and... Sort of Max George uh, preceded me. Mark Olsen was on the scene at that time, but you know, I sort of gen- uh, it took a while, but a season or so, but and I ended up being the uh, the constant at full forward. So that was that was my go. Yeah, you did a Bachelor of Commerce at UWA, and you shifted footy as a result of that, didn't you? You ended up playing for the University Amateurs. Yeah, that's right. So when I left school, I did a commerce degree at the University of Western Australia, and. I uh, got into the footy system at UWA, so a lot of the, a lot of my mates sort of emanated out of sort of like Scotch College and Hale School and Aquinas College, who are doing various degrees at the university. And footy was a common denominator. So the University Football Club had a great record in the in, in Division One, and uh, against another club called Wembley. So but both both teams were very powerful and. We were fortunate because we, we sort of had the, the pick of the talent, really, that came out of all the private schools in Western Australia of the boys that migrated towards you to, to doing university degrees, whether you had a, you're doing a degree in commerce, which I was, or a degree in law or engineering or medicine. So when you're a young bloke, you, got, you went to university aged 18 and everyone wanted to play footy and cricket. Um, and so that was, the, that was the way we went. So I played, I played three years at University of Western Australia in the in the A grade, so that was good. How successful was the team, and how successful were you? 
So we were pretty successful. My first year I played in the A Colts and we won the premiership then. That was in 1976. Uh, sorry, 1975. And then in 76 and 77, played in the A grade. The A grade and we won one premiership. And we actually had some interesting players. Dick Collis was... Um, who went on to be um, chairman of the Eagles and the Sydney Swans and the like. He he was one of our mature age players, a very, very good player. But a lot of my mates, Michael Salmon, he spent a bit of time down at Claremont Footy Club. We had a lot of lot of good players. But a lot lot of the players at university in the university side, they had the they had a um you know, they were professional people, you know, medicine and everything and, you know, didn't they didn't really want to progress onto the senior football stage, you know, in the waffle. So they played at university for a number of years and, and, and with great success over that period of time. Simon, we'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about your career at Swan Districts. This is Inspiring Sports Stories brought to you by Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day and we're talking to Simon Beasley. We're, we've reached a point where Simon has had a successful amateur career at university and he joins Swan District. Simon, how did that come about? So, look, because I'd grown up in the, in the Swan area, Swan Districts, I, I was sort of zoned to Swan Districts. I'd spoken to Malcolm Brown. He was sort of keen for me to play at Claremont because I'd just moved out of Market Street, Guildford, uh, where I was living with my mum. So I, we moved down to Claremont. So I was um, in the Claremont area, and they thought there was a chance I might go to Claremont. But look, I, I, I chose to sort of stick with Swans. I mean, John Todd, pretty persuasive character, and I knew all about his history and everything like that. And I knew everything about the Swan District's players because I thought, even though I didn't play there, you know, for reading the press and everything like that, I knew a lot about the players. And, and as a result, they gave me the opportunity. So I went, went and did the pre-season. I think it was 1977. My first year at Swans was 1978. What sort of team were Swans at that stage? We know that they had the golden era under Toddy and they won the three flags, but it was they'd had a, a fairly unsuccessful 70s period, hadn't they? And it just started to turn at the, at the end of the decade. Yeah. yeah, they did. So in 78, we were a little bit of a basket case. We sort of struggled at the front end of the season, start of the season. We got thrashed by Subiaco one day down at Subi and, and the president of Subi or the CEO, um, I just can't remember his name, the bloke, but they made the statement that we were an embarrassment to the competition. So that was like putting a red rag in front of a bull with Toddy. And um, anyway, he never let us forget that. And I think we reversed the, uh, in, the in, in, in one of the clashes at the end of the year, we reversed that and gave them an absolute hammering. But sort of the building blocks have been put in place. I can't, Toddy's first year may have been 77 or 76, 77, I think. So we, we started to really start to get, get, get our act together in 79 and uh, Toddy's sort of recruiting of players from the east and we started getting a very very strong squad. So Gordon Casey as I remember came across he was uh, yeah. he was a player that joined the club and when, when did Ed Blackaby come was he around around there as well? Uh, he was in that era so Ed came from Canberra, Daryl Sutton came from North Melbourne, I think Graham Melrose came back Graham Melrose came back from Melbourne to play with Swan Districts. Yeah. Where Jared, Jared Neesham came over from East Fremantle to play with us. Yeah, we, we, we had a very strong nucleus of players and 
And, of course, some of the younger guys coming through the ranks, like uh, Ross Fitzgerald and Donnie Holmes. Of course, we had the Narkle brothers. We had sort of stalwarts of the club, like Mark Olsen, Tom Maluli, Stan Nowotny, Billy Skorowski. Look, so and we we had the nucleus of a good side, but we'd never really been able to sort of put it together. But it definitely, definitely sort of started feeling good in in 79 under Toddy. What sort of coach was John Todd? He would have been a pretty hard taskmaster, wouldn't he? Yeah, no, Toddy was he was very hard but very fair. He was a good a good coach to play under. He, you know, he took no prisoners. He, he'd he'd lay the law down to you if you uh, if you weren't performing, and so I think that was good. I think you need that sort of situation, particularly younger guys that need a bit of belting around the ears, getting them into order, and 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 you know, and doing the right thing. I think a little bit different to the playing groups you see these days. Coaches not 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 tough. I don't think coaches particularly tough on a lot of the players, but. Toddy was pretty ruthless, but he got the results. So, you know, he stood the test of time at Swan Districts. Did you and he find... was a hell of a character, too. Yeah, he was on, definitely Did you find your feet straight away, or did it take a while? No, I sort of struggled. I, I reckon I struggled for memory in, in 78, a little bit sort of early in the season. And I, I sort of came good. I think Mark Olsen retired, or Max George retired at that time, and we started getting our act together towards the end of the season. And you know, it definitely took me a year or so to sort of get to get get up to the speed of senior football, and um, yeah, and sort of things started sort of falling into place after that. Yeah, it was a really strong competition back then too, wasn't it? I remember attending the 1980 grand final when South Fremantle beat you. Um, just yeah, just letting you know I'm a South Fremantle boy, so I was uh, I was very happy yeah. with, with the outcome. But that Swan Districts team in 1980 started with a rush. You were unbeaten for a long period into the season. You, you must have felt like something was really happening at that point. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, we had brilliant players. And, of course, you know, the acquisition of um, Leon Baker. Leon Baker was playing down in Bunbury, actually. I think for South Met Bunbury for memory. That's right. And Toddy, I can vividly remember Toddy saying he'd, he'd found a player down in Bunbury region playing in that league, and we were sort of quizzing him about who is it. He said, no, no, I'll let you know in due course. And then um, Leon Baker came into the club, and I reckon he came in about the same time as Ed Blackaby. Yeah. And uh, no, he was one hell of an acquisition, and, and, and he could play too, big time. He was an incredible player, Black, um, Leon Baker. So... You know, and then also Swanage started to get, you know, the big ruckman, Ronnie Boucher, was playing good football. Um, Jared Neesham was a brilliant player for Swan Districts. He was, you know, the, the, a left footer, incredible accuracy. Uh, Blackaby, I mentioned this, the, the, the Narkle boys. We had a bloke called Tommy Thorne, an indigenous guy. He was he was a fantastic player for a year or two while he was with us. So, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of good players, a lot of talent on paper, and we were starting to put it together at that stage. Tom Thorne came from my hometown, um, Simon. He came from a place called Darkin, which is just east of Collie. Um, and he was a he was a hell of a junior footballer from there. Um, the nineteen eighty grand final, given that you'd had the season you had, it must have been a, a big disappointment to lose that one. Yeah. So look, South Fremantle were a very good side. I mean, there's no question that we were up. We had our backs to the wall, and I reckon South Fremantle went into that game pretty well as a, a very very warm favourite. You know the. The state, the state team of that year was predominantly South South Fremantle. I think Malcolm Brown coached it. You know, you had blokes like Basil Campbell, Stephen Michael, possibly the best player in Western Australia never to play in the VFL. Uh, Noel Carter played. Joe Mackay it was never ending. They, they they had a lot of good players. South and Benny Bagona, um, and they were a real powerhouse. And look, 
I've sort of seen replays a little bit of the grand final in 1980, but yeah, they, they were sort of all over us, even though we were sort of competitive, I think, for a quarter and a bit. But they, 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 they ran right over the top of us, and they had great players on, on all lines. Yeah, South and Mantle are a really good side. Yeah, you mentioned most of them. You left one out, Morris Rioli. He was the Simpson medalist in that oh, game yeah. as well. He was pretty. He was a pretty fair yeah. player. You were, yeah, no. you, you were very much a leading forward, and and it was a, an era where we had a couple of pretty handy leading full forwards, yourself and Warren Ralph. Yeah, yeah. So that was my go, um, and you know the. The grounds in Western Australia were sort of very, very conducive to that sort of thing. You know, you know, a strong leading player. They were big. Bassendean Oval was a big oval. Subiaco the same. A lot of the grounds at Waffle Level were great grounds to play on. And of course, you know, in the warmer months, the summer and, and early spring, they were great grounds. And you know, I, I, I enjoyed quite a bit of success in, in terms of playing on them. Yep, absolutely. So you tied for the 1980 Bernie Naylor medal as the leading goal kicker in the waffle with Warren Ralph. Um, he, yep. he beat you in 1981. You finished second in the goal kicking, but you kicked over 100 goals, kicked 119 goals. You must have been racking yep. it up that year. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it was funny because the the the, the goal, the full forwards, they were quite strong, you know, and, and a lot of clubs had very, very good full forwards. And sort of Warren and I, sort of dominated, you know, in a year or two in that era. You know, so, so I suppose to a certain extent it was, you know, the strength of our midfield that we had at Swan Districts. You know, we were a powerhouse across sort of the half-back line, the midfield. You had Murray Rance and these guys, Donny Holmes. So, you know, delivery of the ball in the forward line is very good, even though you always had pressure on, you know, to deliver. But, you know, I did, I did, I was very fortunate to have played in, front of a very, very good group of footballers and, you know, the opportunities were were ample. So the results were there, which was good. You know, I was really, really, really happy to be be involved. I reckon what I'm about to talk about would be a career highlight, wouldn't it? You won a Simpson medal in 1981 against Victoria, kicked six goals. Tell us about that day. Yeah, so the Victorian team, from memory, I think had issues getting across to across the Perth. There are issues with the the, the aeroplanes and they had light aircraft bottom across so it was a it was a sort of bit of an up and down trip for those guys. But yeah, look, the state of origin concept which is really at a height in, in that era, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, everyone, you know, all the players in the waffle, you know, and the players playing in the vehicle, West Western Australian registered players all wanted to play State of Origin because that was the ultimate and um, we had a good, we had a pretty good side, you know. Brownie, very good coach, um, and I think from memory, six or seven of the players came from South Fremantle, you know, led by Stephen Michael. And I think from memory also that um, Victoria were up at half time, but um, we we sort of dominated the match very very strongly after half time, and 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 the South Australian players had a very very big part in in, in turning that game around. But look, I, I was. I was sort of playing full forward and I was a beneficiary of some really fantastic players to play in front of. I think I got six or seven goals or whatever and got the Simpson medal. So, yeah, and that was certainly a highlight, as you said. It was a highlight for me. And beating Victoria to that extent sort of put my name on the map a little bit in, in the eyes of the Victorians. So so that was good. That ended up ended up really sort of, you know, pushing my move to go to, to go to Footscray at the end of at the end of nineteen eighty one. Yeah. We'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about Simon's career at Footscray in the 1980s and a very fine career it was. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. We're being brought to you by Bauer and O'Day and we're talking to Simon Beasley. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Simon Beasley. Simon, you win the Simpson medal for WA in 1981. You have another really strong season at Swan Districts. You kick 100 goals. Were Footscray the only VFL club that came calling for you? Well, I, I actually spoke to Footscray back in 1976 because I played in the Australian Amateur Carnival in Adelaide and I um, I got the medal for the uh, best player at the Carnival and quite a few of the um, the teams in Victoria and also Western Australia, obviously, you know, Claremont and Swan District wanted to talk to me. So I ended up coming over um, uh, as a guest of Hawthorne for the 1976 uh, Premiership win. Um, but I had a quite, I spoke to sort of quite a few clubs. I spoke to St Kilda, spoke to Geelong. I think I spoke to Essendon. I spoke to Melbourne. Spoke to Carlton. But so the dogs came to me again in in the start of '81, or sort of after the first few games in '81, and said, "Look, they were serious about me going to the Western Oval." And so I sort of made a decision there, and then I'd I'd, I'd go at the end of the season. Um, uh, I was involved in the stock exchange because, of course, footy in the 80s was semi-professional. So you, everyone sort of had, had either a job, a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, and then we all went to training at 5 o'clock or whatever and did our best for two hours, three or four nights a week or three nights a week. And and so I made a decision to go to Footscray um, uh, because the stock exchange was under quite a bit of pressure and there were more brokers in Melbourne than there were, were in Perth and there were a couple of opportunities on that front for me. So... That sort of helped me make the decision. So I was I was headed east. I went over in um, in October 1981. What swung you to Footscray? What was what stood out to you about them? So Footscray at that stage had Royce Hart as coach. I'd sort of I'd never been out to the western suburbs, and a lot of my mates in Melbourne said, "Oh God," you said, well, "You're not really going to the most glamorous part of Melbourne, sort of going to the western suburbs." But one place I did like going out in the western suburbs was Flemington because I used to come over in my holidays um, university and uh, watch the Melbourne Cup and I used to come over for some of the big events during the year, always, you know, headed out west where Flemington's based. And so I thought it couldn't be that bad. So, look, I made my way to Footscray and sort of never really regretted it, Mark. It was great, great days. So you mentioned Royce Hart was the coach when you first got there. Tell us about Royce Hart as a coach. Look, I, I obviously didn't know Royce, but he'd been at the club, I think, the previous year. And when I was recruited, the sort of press in Melbourne was saying that it was going to be a sort of Templeton, Kelvin Templeton sort of centre forward and Beasley at, at full forward, and there's going to be the, the resurgence of the Bulldogs. So, look, we had a pretty familiar, we had a reasonable lineup of talent. Um, most probably one of the best players that's ever played at the Bulldogs, Doug Hawkins, was on the wing. Ricky Kennedy, um, Jimmy Edmond. Dan Davidson, Louis Hampshire was playing there. We had a really a really good group of blokes, and I didn't. I knew the club had had not enjoyed a lot of success in the previous few years. Kelvin Templeton playing centre forward, and he was a he was a a bit of a legend at the Bulldogs. But unfortunately, Kelvin sort of had knee issues and hip issues when I arrived there, and he struggled a bit before he went off to the Melbourne Footy Club. So, look, it was an interesting start because we got absolutely hammered our first game against Essendon up at Windy Hill and I was on Ronnie Andrews and and anyway, Doug Hawkins was actually a friend of Ronnie Andrews and he gave me the heads up on him because I asked him a bit about Ronnie Andrews and he said, well, whatever you do, don't let him get near you because he'll belt your head, he'll belt your head off. So, and he, 
and he did, he did. He got me in the third quarter because I went kickless in the first half. So it was looking, first game of the VFL, I was talking, this is, this is an absolute disaster, this whole thing. So, and then I can remember in the third quarter, the opposite end to the stands at Windy Hill, and then I grabbed the ball down on the boundary line. I can, I can just remember looking up and running into a, a slow-moving Ronnie Andrews, and he wasn't that quick, but he had me targeted, and he got me beautifully. So I think the upshot of it all was sort of virtually no one or two kicks, maybe in one handball, no goals, no points, no nothing. And they beat us. I reckon they beat us by 130 points. I don't know the exact margin. It was a disastrous start for... Bulldogs, and I think very a lot of Bulldog supporters would have gone home very sceptical about uh, that night about their new recruit from Perth. I'm sure they were. But anyway, things turned around with a bit of work, and I can always remember John Cooper, the president, then president of the Swan Districts, he rang me after three or four games, and he said, look, we've been following it closely. We know you're struggling over there. We'll always have you back at Swan Districts. So I said, no, Coops, I'm not coming back to Swan Districts. I'm going to stay over here. This is my go here. So anyway... It did turn around. You were very lean when you left Perth, Simon, and obviously WA footy is very fast and open on fast tracks. And, and back in those days, the the VFL was played on heavy tracks. You had the Merry Creek soil and the mud on a lot of grounds. And uh, um, how did you find that? And, and what sort of adjustments did you have to make physically to get ready for that? Well, you're right about that. Like uh, the ground, the grounds were heavy and a lot more rain over in Victoria and a lot of mud. And they didn't. They, they were very, very different to the grounds in Perth and the Waffles. So I sort. Of, I didn't have to adjust my my game totally. I just. I just had to get. I got stuck into the weights a bit. So I sort of built myself up a bit in that first year. And the first six or eight games were pretty were, were pretty bloody tough. It was a 22 game season, of course, being 12 clubs in the competition, the old VFL. But sort of, I built myself up, and I had a bit of a turn. Um, First three games were very, very hard. We played Collingwood second up. They beat us. We played Hawthorne third up. They absolutely thrashed us. Uh, we got our act together a little bit. We played Collingwood at Victoria Park. And actually, I played um, on the late Craig Stewart. He only died a month or two over here. Uh, he was at full back. And, and I got a bit of confidence out of that game because I kicked sort of six or seven goals from memory. And it was sort of a bit of a turning point for me in Victoria because... The, the first of half of the season in 1982 that I played with Footscray produced, I think, only about sort of 25, 26 goals. So that's all I'd kicked in about sort of 11, 11 or 12 games. And I was sort of facing the gun a bit. But that, that Collingwood game gave me a lot of confidence. And I went on in 82, my first season, to kick 82 goals in the comp. I came second in the um, goal kicking. And, um, and I... Uh, I sort of got my, I really got my act together, and uh, and uh, the last game of the season was was uh, against uh, was against North Melbourne, and Malcolm Blight was the top goal kicker. We were equal, about eighty two, about in the high seventies, and Blight kicked ten, and I kicked about six, so he got the chocolates. But it was just uh, uh, one of those one of those games. But I was pretty happy with, the, with, the, with what happened in nineteen eighty two. Yep, eighty two goals for the season. You finished second in the goal kicking. You kicked twelve against Geelong. Where was that? Um, I kicked the 12 against Geelong. Um, that was at the Western Oval. And I think that was um, at that particular game. I, I think we belted them. And we sort of we, we sort of turned the corner pretty strongly. There are two. I think the last four games, we, we, we sort of won three out of the four. And there was a bit of optimism for us sort of going forward. And so I sort of felt, I, I felt things were coming together pretty well. And 
Uh, I think we beat some of the more fancy teams, so that that was all good. So it just took it took a while, but anyway, that was all good, and we started getting our act together, and and we certainly had something to look forward to uh, to in in coming seasons. When did uh, so Bluey Hampshire became the co- the coach? Is that right? And then um, when did that happen? And then um, wh- when did Bluey make way for Mick Malthouse? So Bluey. Um, so what happened was that Royce Hart uh, got the flick after three, four or five games at the Bulldogs in 1982. Uh, Bluey took over the reins in, in, in at that time, and um, and so uh, so Bluey Bluey coaches for about a year and a bit, and Mick was appointed in late, late 1983. So Mick came into the fold in um, in 1984. So um, that was his go. Mick was. Uh, Exactly what the Bulldogs needed at that stage. He'd played senior football for Richmond, and he uh, he was a young guy. He was about 28, 29, and he was just absolutely, you know, exactly what we needed. And and he started getting a result and pretty quickly. So that was good. That was re- really good. That um, the fact that Mick was uh, Mick was able to do that. So it was a really really good playing under him. I sort of re- I re- rated him really highly. Um, and uh, he, uh, we had a very, we had a better year in 1984. That was a precursor to to an outstanding year we had in 1985. But Malthouse cut his teeth on coaching at the Bulldogs and did did a great, you know, a really really great performance by him. Um, the club was in trouble, sort of 80s towards the late 80s, lack of finance, uh, players wanted out, and uh, it was a bit of a struggle. So. Um, one of those things, unfortunately, and I can always remember, I got a phone call from Neil Hamilton in Perth who was involved with the West Coast Eagles, and he asked me about me. I'd retired um, in the middle of 1989, so I had back issues and, and um, knee issues, and I said he was the bloke they should definitely go after. So that led to Malthouse going to the West Coast Eagles, and the rest is history in terms of what he was able to achieve there. So... For the Bulldogs in the period that he coached us, he was he was excellent. We'll take a break there and we'll talk about that golden period at the Bulldogs from uh, 1985 in particular when uh, Simon had his best season of footy. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day, we're talking to Simon Beasley. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Simon Beasley. Simon, at the start of 1985, did you sense that something good was about to happen at the Doggies? I thought we had a really good finish to the 84 season, Mark, and we, we were sort of certainly hoping that we could consolidate on that in 1985. Of course, you know, Mick Malthouse's second season, there was an influx of players into the Bulldogs, particularly from Western Australia. We picked up blokes like uh, Ian Williams, Jimmy Sewell, um, Andrew Purser, uh, Timmy Jepp came across to us from Richmond. Um, uh, Neil Peart came to us. We, we picked up a lot of players. Malthouse obviously knew very quickly that he needed to change the playing ranks to a certain extent. And he needed outside talent. And one of the great things for us was the fact that uh, 
the fact that uh, you know we had these guys coming coming from Western Australia who you know Budgie came across Tony Bahaji came across from Essendon and he was a terrific little player so that was uh, that was a real a real plus for the club no question and you know and the feeling around the club was good we had dominant players one of the most brilliant players in the competition was Doug Hawkins. He was a great player, and um, you know, with the other guys, we were starting to get a result. We we were strong. We matched it with Hawthorne, and we matched it with with Essendon over the course of that season. You also got Brad Hardy, who uh, was a bit of a revelation, playing a sort of as an aggressive back pocket player, which I'd imagine uh, sometimes rubbed Mick the wrong way, as we saw at the end of their uh, association with each other. But you were able to get a good balance between attack and defence for a while there in '85, weren't you? Yeah, like so, Barney played out of the um, back pocket, and he was he was a brilliant player for us, and um, and he was an eye catcher, you know, because darting out of that back pocket, red hair, he he just he, he was he was all over it, um, and played and played very very well, um, and he was he was just just the sort of player that the Bulldogs needed, Mark, and um, and so we were starting to get a result on all fronts. And uh, so Brad really came from nowhere. No one, no one in Victoria knew about Brad, and I, I certainly knew about him. So <laughs> he was a, he was a really good one. They also, da- Alan Daniels came to us. Yep, Alan Shorty Daniels, Daniels came from yep. came from Claremont. So Shorty came over. He was a very good player. Ian Williams had played at Swan District. So we we had a real strong influx of uh, Western Australian talent into the Bulldogs in 1985. That was your Coleman Medal year, Simon, and and a, a really strong season. You kicked 100 goals in VFL footy, which must be an achievement you're really proud of. Yeah, look, I mean, it was uh, it was a fantastic thing to be able to do. Um, you know, Footscray had many, many great goal kickers over the years, including Jack Collins, and Jack was still alive at that stage, and he was sort of the king as far as goal kickers go at the Bulldogs. So I dismantled him, and he... He was a very funny man, Jack Collins. He was an absolute legend at the Bulldogs, having played in that 54 Premiership side. So, yeah, so look, I mean, you know, you rely very heavily on your, your, your teammates up the field. and We had some, you know, very, very strong players on all fronts. So, look, it was, it was a very good result all around. No question about that, mate. No question. You would have been good leading to um, Dougie Hawkins, I'd imagine. He was a pretty fair kick off either foot. Mate, he was without doubt sort of one of the best best kicks in football I ever saw and ever played in front of. Um, he was just an ab- ab- absolute magician, Hawkins. Um, and you know, it was just one of those players really that you just couldn't believe how good he was. It was interesting. There was a um, article written by Mick Malthouse the other day over here and. And he said, he said the best kick, the best kick he ever encountered in in the VFL AFL days was Doug Hawkins, um, yeah. and he was just such a brilliant player, Hawkins. And you know, I couldn't be more complimentary about him. But he didn't win Brownlows and that sort of thing. But he won a number of best and fairest. But he was just he was in a class of his own. He was, and it felt like a turning point for the club, Simon. Not in a good way. It, it felt like. In 85, the Dogs were a, were a club going somewhere. And then, of course, Dougie Hawkins did his knee, I reckon it was about two-thirds of the way through the 86 season. And it, it, it felt like the, the team wasn't quite the same after that. I think to a certain extent that's correct, yeah. I think that's correct. Um, 
you had the Brad situation with Mick, which sort of wasn't a good look, um, unfortunately, for the club in 86. So Brad had a... It's amazing, really, because Brad, you know, won a Brownlow medal and two seasons of the Bulldogs, and then he uh, he moved on. Yep. So, look, it's one of those things, you know, it's very hard maintaining the consistency amongst the playing group and being on top of all the issues, but you know, guys retiring and and this and that. So, unfortunately, we couldn't go on with it. That was one of the sad parts about it because, you no, know, our supporters sort of been there through thick and thin. A lot of them had been there in 54 but hadn't tasted success. So it would have been fantastic if we could have gone into the grand final because I have no doubt that um, Essendon would have been worried about us because we were so competitive against them in 84 and 85. We were one team. I, I reckon they would have feared in the grand final of 85, but they ended up against Hawthorne, who were half done. So anyway, one of those things. That's history, mate. That's footy. You, the the team doesn't perform as strongly after 1985, but you continue to. You kicked 88 goals in 1986, and you had good goal tallies again in 87 and 88. I think it was 73 and 87, and uh, and it was 82 in 21 games in 88. When did your back start giving you trouble? Uh, look, I started, look, to tell you the truth, I did have issues with my back right through my career. Um and I was getting epidurals from um, a, a doctor mate of mine. So that used to get me through the season. So really, right right through the course of my career, I certainly needed um, I needed help to, uh, to keep playing. So that was just one of those things. That's the way it worked. So anyway, um, just keep soldiering on, mate, and, and doing your best. How did you feel, given that you you nearly got there in 1985? What what sort of emotions did you feel when they finally won a flag in 2016? Oh, look, it was a great, just a great moment, mate. We um we've been waiting a long, long time. It was an incredible story, really. Given you know, you look at some of the uh, the characters that participated in that particular day. Look at Tom Boyd's story. Um, you know, I could go through all of the whole team. Amazing, really. So they gelled very, very well. Beverage is an unknown quantity, really, as a coach when he, he came to us as a coach in 2015. But he just assembled a very, very, very strong group of players and they got the right results. So it was just amazing. In 1989, going back to that, Simon, did you know uh, you were done then? You, you you sort of only got through a handful of games? Yeah, yes, I sort of did. Uh, played played about. Six to twelve games, roughly. Yeah, I know I was cooked. When you guessed, you guessed, Mark, and that's it, mate. And turning thirty-three years of age then, so you know, I'm a pretty reasonable career. So, yeah. So I spoke to Mick about it, and he uh, he uh, he said, "Yep, no, that's great. It's been great for us, and uh, we're very proud of you." So, look, it was it was a good send-off, mate. Everything worked out well. It's a hell of a career, 154 games, 575 goals, 3.73 goals per game, which is not far off the sort of mark that people like Dunstall and Lockett were, were managing around that time. You must be pretty proud when you look back. Yeah, yeah. So they, we had, there were some great goal kickers in the VFL. They, they started their careers in the sort of mid-80s, mid I reckon, for memory, and they, they turned out to be incredible players. So, And I was part of the mix, so... You know, it was uh, 
It was a great achievement, so, and I'm proud of it. Um, and, you know, you had some, some real weapons to compete with. But that, that was an era for full forwards in the, I reckon, in the 80s and the 90s, was the era of the full forwards, not so much these days. No, correct. There's about 150 bodies in front of you when you go on the lead now. Um, do you like the game now? Yes, yeah. I still follow the game. I'm going to watch the Bulldogs on a regular basis. So, yeah, so I still like footy. I've always liked footy, mate. And um, I'm not watching live at Marvel Stadium or wherever they're playing. I'm on the TV. So, yeah, I'm a keen follower of the Bulldogs and, and, uh, and keep a very close eye on them. How will they go this year, do you think? Uh, look, we're a bit at the crossroads at the moment. The so games we should have won haven't. We've got a very good list, I think. Uh, we, we've underperforming a little bit. But, you know, very similar scenario to 2016, you know, where we got thrashed by Fremantle the last game, but we had the cattle. So I do think we've still got the cattle. I think, I think it's just a chance. Uh, we need to get our act together, you know, follow the instructions a bit better. Coaches. I think, I think Luke, Luke's message is still pretty strong, so... Yeah, so that's uh, one of those things. I, I think we can do it, but we'd have to do it from the bottom eight. And that's, that's a pretty tough ask. It is. It's always tough from the bottom half of the eight, but the Bulldogs have proven they can do it at least once. Simon Beasley, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your story with us. This has been inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.